On today's program, we have our look at what's coming up this fall in video games. Is the iPhone now a better alternative than the Samsung Galaxy family? We share our thoughts on that as well. Josh checks in with comic books outside the DC and Marvel Universe you need to read, and I will speak to the author of Coleco, the official book, and reminisce about one of the most storied toy and gaming manufacturers of the previous century. All this and more as we delve into the Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we are on once again, it's the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source, and also from Pop Culture Cosmos and the world-famous Retro City Games. <laughs> it's the co-owner himself, it's Douglas Hoyabu. How Hi. are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Happy to be here. Well, we're streaming this live off of our uh, Retro City Games Facebook page. If you get a chance, check them out. They are the leaders in retro gaming here in uh, Southern Nevada, but also as well, if you're anywhere asking a question on retro gaming, shoot them a message. They are available and at your ready to answer all your retro gaming needs, correct? Yes, we are. Absolutely. I want to make sure we mention that we are also part of the Podcast Radio Network, airing Monday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you get a chance, check them out. Also as well, they're available on the TuneIn app and their own Podcast Radio Network application. If you haven't seen us yet, we're Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook. You can like us there, Pop Culture Cosmo on Twitter, and all that good stuff. I will be also sharing as well some some of our cohorts in crime, so to speak, some of our good friends at Henshin Engine, Rob McCallum Films, uh, Mario Party Wars, and more. I'll be dropping a little bit of that info on them uh, a little bit later in the broadcast. But we are here right now to talk some video games. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. We're going to talk a fall preview because we've already touched on a fall preview of movies, fall preview of television. Now we're going to hit on a fall preview of the video game market coming up. And it's, uh, I guess it's, it's, it's turning out to be a pretty good year. Yeah. It's not like 2007 because I think for me that's my favorite year. That's the best year, I think, for the video game industry as far as for the fall season. All the number of titles. But this, is, this year shaping up pretty good. What are your thoughts as far as from a general standpoint before we get into the particulars, Doug, as far as... The, the fall season as far as for video games. How do you think it's looking so far? Um, I think for the AAA titles, um, we're seeing a lot of sequels, and I don't know if I'm as excited for those as a lot of the more indie and smaller games on a little more of the niche systems. Um, but I think it's been a good year for games, and I think falls, I mean, we're getting some games that, like Last Guardian that haven't been out, or we've been waiting for, I mean, since almost 2007. I mean, <laughs> just so, I don't know, I'm pretty excited. And they just, you know, just because Sony loves you so much and loves the game so much that it came out with an even longer delay. Although it's, you know, going from October to December is not that bad, comparatively speaking. It's a game that's over 10 years in development. So, you know, people have been born, people have died since, uh, <laughs> since that game was first announced. So I guess waiting about six weeks longer is not that bad. Although, as I told you before, kind of hurt that it didn't come out for them just before Black Friday because I think that would get a great deal of interest. But, you know, it's coming out. It, so it, I think it, that's all that matters. It doesn't, it doesn't. I mean, if, if you keep the game at, at full price, um, it hurts sales because most people aren't picking up full price games on Black Friday or in the vicinity of Black Friday. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, releasing it afterwards, maybe they can generate their own hype for it. I mean, we see a lot of games do that with an early December release. I mean, every year. Yeah. There's, a, there's a handful that just skip that, and they'll do their own discount a week out or, you know, right after Christmas. We'll see that, you know, that December 26th or 27th sale on the game where we see a 45 or a $40 price point. Um, Call of Duty, Fallout, those kind of games did that last year. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and they're doing it this year with Call of Duty actually not coming out once, but twice. With a remastered oh, version yeah. <laughs> of the best game in the series, Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Um, and then also as well, Infinite Warfare, which also comes out later this year. I understand that they're doing a package together. And then also as well, they're coming out with, well, how should I say it, uh, separate versions of each. Are you interested in both? One, tell me a little bit more about what your thoughts are as far as the Call of Duty franchise. Because I think it's at a pinnacle, it's at an it's at important point in the franchise history. I, I think that it already peaked for me, and it's kind of on a, a downhill. Uh, Nicole and I used to play a ton of the online multiplayer. It was fast-paced, easy to get into. Um, the first two games to me have you know decent stories and great gameplay for the, the single-player campaign. Once Infinity Ward kind of left, um, I think things shifted a little bit to a place where I didn't want it to be, towards that, that more Halo-centric type of gameplay. Um, so I'm actually more excited for the remake of one. And actually, are, are they doing a standalone? version of that um yes yes that makes me extremely happy and I'll, I'll actually probably actually i know i will pick that up and i probably won't be picking up uh the new call of duty i mean um, until there's probably either price drop or i see a little more gameplay because it really doesn't seem like well what are your customers saying as far as the new call of duty especially with battlefield one who's making a dramatic shift as we spoke about on a previous episode people a dramatic shift in the actual series itself people seem to be much more excited about the Battlefield series um, just because it seems, although it's going back to what we've seen before, it seems fresher. I mean, it's that next-gen experience that we, you know, we're getting at the beginning of the last-gen. Um, Call of Duty, everybody says the same thing. Whenever whenever the new one comes out, I, I see our customer base and the people around us talking about, oh, I can't believe it, I'm not getting it. It looks, it looks terrible. And then six months later, everybody has the game and they're playing it. I think it's just one of those it's just it's kind of ingrained in the the pop culture of video games it's just people grab the new call of duty and play it i don't know why but i mean it's it, i think the last one i picked up was well it was was black ops 3 and i i tried so hard to get into it and couldn't i don't even know why i bought the game because i didn't like ghosts i didn't buy infinite warfare well ghost was a, it ghost because, was a low point for them yeah. ghost uh, really oh. as far as from a critical and then obviously ultimately Yes, it still sold a lot as far as is concerned when you're comparing other games to it, but in the Call of Duty series, it was a low point as far as in the series itself. I guess my problem is I, even from myself, I, I bought the game wanting it to, hoping it would be like my earlier experiences with the game, not with the later feel of it. And I, I don't know, it's, I, I think we all hold on to things we, you know, we wish they were something different. I, I, man, I wish, I wish it was that I wish, that I wish, experience. I wish, I wish! And you wanted to capture that. It, I feel the same way about Halo. I, I keep playing the new Halos, hoping they'll be like the first couple or the first three. You know what I mean? I, but they never are. And, uh. <laughs> I, I don't blame you a bit. Gears is coming back on the forefront yes. as far as it's concerned with the brand new Gears of War 4. Uh, you, I know you and I both have seen gameplay footage. We've seen the trailers. What are your thoughts as far as Gears of War? And can it reclaim its spot as one of the pillars of the Microsoft you know, as far as their foundation is concerned for the Xbox. Well, it's the first game with a lot of key people not working on it um, from the franchise. Most likely Cliffy B. Well, Cliff Bozinski, I'm sorry. But Ron Ferguson. 
Yeah, but Rod Ferguson's still involved. He yeah, was, he is. He's always been a major part of it. Um, I was just saying, it's, it's a, you know, it might be a little bit different. It might have a little different tone with different people at the helm. Um, but it looks good to me. I'm actually, I think I'm as excited for that, and I'm, I am think I'm as excited for that console as I am for the game itself. That console looks amazing. Uh, it does and- indeed. The nice red. <laughs> um, it definitely is uh, something that, that is uh, plenty to look forward to. But when you're talking about Gears of War, um, you're talking about, obviously, you know, Marcus Phoenix and whatnot, and he is making an appearance uh, over Marcus Phoenix. His son is actually the lead protagonist in the game. I've just been worried as far as for the series if it's going to match up, like you said, because it doesn't have Cliffy B's. But then again, it's anything can be a step up from Judgment because that was such a, a disappointment for me um, N- Nicole, on that end. Nicole and I co-opted the first three and couldn't get through Judgment. We we literally just could not get through the game. Judgment right? is a polarizing game. It's either you love it or hate it, yeah. and, and there's just no in-between with that game. Uh, one of the other things I want to talk about, Battlefield 1, like we have mentioned before on previous podcasts, is something obviously that, that EA is, is staunchly getting behind, um, something that they are they are trying very heavily to, to weigh against, as they do every, every time they bring it out compared to Call of Duty. Your thoughts on the stark changes to the actual, since they're going back to World War One with their theme, um, good move, bad move, is something that uh, you, you see will actually ultimately prove to them to be a winner this fall season? I love it. Like I said, I, I think it feels fresh. Even though it's an idea that was, you know, maybe 10 years ago was done to death. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't really seen a, a great, you know, standard World War One or World War Two game, really, for that matter, in a few years. I mean, I think the closest I've, I've come to enjoying a, a period piece was probably... Wolfenstein, and that, that takes it way out into left field. But even that felt fresh because it it felt like a different time period. It felt it didn't feel like the standard COD shooter, which I know that is the industry standard because it is. I mean, give it credit where credit's due. It's one of the best selling franchises of all time, if Indeed. not the best um, when you count all the games in culmination. But I, I I'm really excited for it. I, I've actually it's one of those games I've been trying to avoid gameplay. I've read a lot of articles about it, but I'm trying to avoid like actually watching anything from it just because I'm that excited for it. So what are some of the games that are appealing to you outside of that realm that maybe audiences should become more aware of? Um, I, I'm kind of a, one of the weird ones that adopted the, the Vita pretty early on. And uh, there, there's a few, a few games for the Vita that I'm really excited for. Uh, Criminal Girls 2, which is definitely not safe for work, but one of those quirky just anime. It's, it's a Japanese game, yes. and it has no apologies for being so. Um, I'm gonna get this wrong. I wrote down the name Yoma Yomawari. It's Night Alone. It's it's very much like an old school. Um, it feels 16-bit, but it's not um, in the way that the animations are. And it's 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 very much a, a side-scrolling platformer um, where you're a girl with her Firefly, her going out to look for her sister who's looking for their lost dog. So uh, there's different people you meet, and it's it's you traveling through the city at night and the adventure you go on. Um, uh, there's also there's a couple like uh, definitive editions. The Metal Gear Solid Five one coming out. Um, I like it when DLCs bundled. Bioshock uh, Collection just got released. That's uh, you know somebody has not been able to get the chance to play any or all the Bioshock collections. It's, it's a great way as far as to get get their hands on all three at one point in time. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I think the other big one. It was just kind of a it, it surprised me when I saw they were doing it. Um, is uh, Shantae. 
I, I was actually I'm I'm very excited for Shantae at E3. Shantae had a big presence. Um, yes. Everything from you know actual like sponsored cosplayers to I mean a, a very large display. They're, they were really pushing Shantae. Um, especially I don't, I don't know if that I don't know how many people actually have played the game. I mean it's it's a very niche, rather expensive you know uh, Game Boy offering, and it's it's one of those that I think has a bigger cult following than people who've actually played it. Yeah. So I'm I'm really excited to see them actually. You know, doubling down on that and really pushing the series. Final Fantasy 15. We cannot uh, speak the fall preview without uh, speaking about that game. You know, you and I spoke at length about the bundle that is becoming available to not only just the Japanese but the North American markets regarding the one. I think it's a one terabyte, if I'm not mistaken, along with the game and the Heaven's Hard movie. Your thoughts on Final Fantasy XV. Is it primed for big success? And is it something that, that you think a lot of players are going to latch on to this fall season? Final Fantasy sells. There's no way for it not to. I mean, it, it's ingrained in... It, it, it is part of just video games. I mean, it's... Uh, I, I think it's a great way to sell slim consoles. I mean, they're, they're pushing it with a bundle with a slim. Um, I think that's definitely a smart move to try to move consoles and games. Because I think Final Fantasy is a system seller. It is one of those games that if you don't already have a PS4 and you're waiting for something, I think Final Fantasy 15 would do it for people. I think so too. Um, I think, and the game looks great. It, it does. <laughs> uh, I, I won't dispute that. I think it is something that has a lot of promise for those who have not gotten into the Final Fantasy series or who've been intimidated by it. Because you know, Final Fantasy it, it has a lot of similarities to the Assassin's Creed series in that you know it started out in one direction with the stories and it goes into another and it goes to another. So I see people, a lot of people, getting back into the franchise with Final Fantasy 15. I think it's going to be promoted and pushed heavily. I oh, think yeah. uh, it's something that that is going to be a cornerstone of the fall game season and then do quite well outside of the shooters. People, because there's going to be a lot of people looking for something outside of the shooters this holiday season. I think that's one direction that they're going to go to. When we come back, I'm going to talk to the author of Coleco, the official book. We'll talk about ColecoVision and a whole lot more in the interview I had with Antoine Claire Renault right after this. Hi, everybody. I'm Yuki, and this is my game. Welcome to my Kickstarter. Hey guys, Sarumaru here, the creator of Henshin Engine. Currently, Henshin Engine is a webcomic on the internet that I'm working on. We want to make it into a video game. Currently, we've gotten as far as three stages with this demo game, but we'd like to make it into a much bigger game. We're looking to make it into an eight-stage game, um, but we need your help. Henshin Engine is a 2D side-scrolling platformer, very reminiscent of what you would see in the 16-bit era. Games like Ninja Gaiden, Valis, Mega Man, it takes inspirations from many of these games. And if you're into retro games, then Henshin Engine is definitely the game for you. On top of having some really good game mechanics, Henshin Engine has excellent visuals, bright colors, a rockin' CD soundtrack, and gameplay that'll keep you coming back for more. So guys, we've got three stages already completed for Henshin Engine. We've got five more stages we wanna throw in there and we need your help. But you've already heard me talk way too much about this game, so why don't we go ahead and hear what other people have to say about Henshin Engine. I think the game is awesome. Uh, it brings back uh, the old retro feel of uh, video games. I just thought it was an amazing game. I like that it feels like a classic like Mega Man 2 kind of style game. 
Uh, simple controls, but still extremely hard to do. It had the right speed, you know, when you play uh, a lot of times, you play 16-bit game. And when it's a homebrew, a lot of people don't have that speed, that Mega Man, that Super Mario that you're looking for. Game had that on point. I mean, it's a side-scroller with pixel-like graphics, uh, like Super Mario World 3 kind of stuff. It's got a, it's got a manga feel, like you're playing through a, like a, playing through a comic book, you know? But at the same time, it's its own style. It's not too cheesy. You're back to classic enemies where you're just facing, you know, things that move left, right, things that fly around, and they're tough as hell. Kind of like Ninja Gaiden, uh, Ghosts and Goblins, uh, very uh, difficult, but not unfair. The music was addicting me, like if I was actually the girl fighting things. Here, when you support homebrew stuff, you kind of see Kickstarters. You support an artist who's trying something new. Something new gets a little bit of light going, next thing you know, he creates his own thing. He creates his own movement. I think it should definitely be supported. You know, it's a... Uh... It's something simple, you know, we don't, there's so many things that are complicated and that, you know, get delayed these days and they overcomplicate, you know, it's a simple game that you can go back to and just enjoy, and, you know, it's something I'd pay for, definitely. Okay guys, so there you have it, you've seen what Henshin Engine looks like, you've heard what other people had to say about it, so why don't you go ahead and pick a reward, tell your friends, share it, help us get across that finish line and get that retro game that you've always wanted to play. Thank you. Support Henshin Engine on Kickstarter today! This is Gerald from GameSource and also the Pop Culture Cosmos. Um, and I'm back uh, with today, well, well, I'm with a guest that, that wrote a, a, a detailed outlining uh, a history of a company who um, had its big rise, big fall, but, you know, one that was... Well, how shall I say this? Uh, one with a very storied history, one that many gamers should already know, one mm -hmm. that retro gaming fans always will know, and one that a lot of people that have been interested or have had toys over many, many years will come to know as well, and that's Coleco. I'm today with uh, Antoine Claire Renault. He's the author of Coleco, the official book as it's titled. Uh, it's available today uh, at ColecoBook.com. It's an outlining of the great history of the company. And I'm here today again with the author, Antoine Claire Renault. It's a pleasure having you here. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to speak with us here at Game Source and Pop Culture Cosmos. Thank you very much for having me, Gerald. I'm really, I'm really pleased to be here. What prompted the, your interest in the ColecoVision? Because as you know, as you noted, that was that you know the ColecoVision at its height. Yeah. Yes, How, that's interesting. How did that come to be? So this is really when uh, when I first met uh, Jean-François Dupuis, my co-author on the book, uh, who provided me with all his uh, his great research. He started in 1996, and when we met, um, he told me that he was very passionate about Coleco and. And the ColecoVision, and uh, so this is where uh, where it, where the the book project started for me because for him it started really before, and he, re he really wanted to do something about that, and uh, didn't manage to uh, to to go through with it, and I really wanted to help him uh, achieving that, and so this is why we uh, we 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 agreed on uh, on working on uh, on this book together, um, and so Coleco for me it was. The company that made the ColecoVision, I really didn't know much uh, about them before uh, writing the book. 
And then, uh, because Jean-François really managed to, uh, to transfer his passion to me, I really became... Re um, uh, it was an interesting it, search, I guess. You yeah, decided yeah, yeah. to go and more into background, correct? Yeah, exactly. I, I, I just wanted to, uh, to do something, something, uh, something else than another book on Atari or another book on Nintendo as well. So, so for me, Coleco was a very good uh, contender for, uh, for this, and, and there was no book about it. So we really started from scratch, and it was a, it was a very cool experience. And for me, even though I wasn't, I wasn't born when the Coleco was released, because I was born in 1986, and the ColecoVision was released in uh, 1982, it, it didn't prevent me of, uh, from doing really good research or... Uh, or or contacting the contacting sorry the people who worked at Coleco um, during that time, and because something that that um, something I'm, I'm really passionate about is the history of video game uh, simply. So whether it's during my time or before I was born, it's uh, it doesn't matter. So it's uh, it's a it's a history that needs to be preserved. So. So there you go. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, to do something that wasn't done before as well. You know, I, I did, recently did a review of the book uh, that I posted on the nuherald.com. And a very good one. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And also as well, uh, yourgamesource.com. I noted that some of the most fascinating parts were not about the ColecoVision. Um, there is a great bit devoted to the ColecoVision. Let's get that out of the way first. Mm -hmm. There is a great exactly. portion of it. But there were some interesting things that were were uncovered, and and like you said, you wanted to not just go into the ColecoVision mm -hmm. itself, but actually the company as a whole. I know Coleco, like you said, a book like this on Coleco has never been done before. Um, it's been never been approached because it's been a company that, even though it, at its height, rivaled many of its uh, you know competitors in the toy and gaming industry. And and let's put it this way: back when the ColecoVision was out the gaming systems were still considered much in a way a part of the toy industry as a part exactly. of its own, mm -hmm. own entity. That's, yeah, you're right. Um, as someone who owned a ColecoVision, um, I know I had to go to, to through toy stores and whatnot, and it was sent into the toy section, even mm -hmm. companies that and stores that were department stores that were not specialty stores for toys. You would always have to go to the toy section in order mm -hmm. to get it. My question to you on that end is, how hard or how difficult was it in the research as far as for the early, especially the early days when it came to the Connecticut Leather Company, as it was originally called? So this is where I was lucky to, to work with, uh, with Jean-Francois because he really provided me with, uh, with all the research he, he started 20 years ago uh, already. And, and he collected documents, uh, so catalogs, uh, internal documents as well about Coleco, and this is really this was easier for me to to start with those documents because I could see what what kind of toys they made. Um, we even had a document about the the history of the company that they released on um, in 1982 for the uh, 50th uh, year anniversary of uh, of the company because it was founded in 1932. Mm -hmm. And in here, they detailed how how they began, how Morris Greenberg uh, emigrated from from Russia to the U.S. Uh, in 1911, and and what he did, uh, etc. But there was still a, uh, there was still a big 
a big chunk of research to, to do uh, because those information, as valuable as they are, uh, were not enough for uh, for hold the book and so this is where i started i started digging myself um on and started uh, tracking some people some people down as well and and this is also where i managed the very first picture i put in the book and uh, for the very first chapter um on the left page is uh, was given to me by um so it was uh, robert greenberg so it was is the great the great grand nephew or the grand nephew of uh, a Coleco founder, and I managed to find him on Facebook because he still um, he still has the the company. He still has the company of his grandfather, uh, even though it's now it's not uh, a moving company anymore. It's uh, it's an antique store company, but it's still in the same area in Connecticut. So I told him I was working on the book, and he told me, "Hey, don't worry, I I have some uh, some pictures if you want." So he, he provided me with this one, and uh, I was uh, I'm still very grateful for. Uh, for that, and so this is this was really more about the more about finding the people who, uh, who worked at the company or who, who knew about the company uh, at the time uh, for the research because the whether it's toys or um, or information on the co of the company after uh, after the beginning, so really the eighties, the seventies, the eighties, which is a period that that started being documented uh, either on the internet or, uh, or elsewhere but the the biggest challenge here was on the on the first uh, 20 years let's put it in that way uh, between 1932 and uh, and the 50s uh, i can imagine it was, so it, it, it was challenging yeah when you were going through those early years what were some of the fascinating parts for you what are some of the parts that maybe you you looked at it and you had to look at it again because it was so wild that maybe you know you didn't you wouldn't associate Coleco with being involved with that type of product. Yeah, so I I, uh, I hear you and uh, I think you you refer to to the swimming pool business, for example. So Possibly. It's yeah. It's it was for me. It was some something fascinating because yeah, as I told you the when I first started the project, I knew about Coleco for the Coleco vision. And and only about that, and then digging about the project, I I started noticing that they were doing swimming pools and then snowmobiles, and that they were also in Montreal, so where I live now, and so all that stuff that that um, began to to pile up, and uh, so it was very fascinating to uh, fascinating to, for me to uh, to learn all uh, all, all that. All those and, contradicting uh, things, correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because. First, it's a toy. First, it's a leather company. So the uh, the founder was uh, was a supplier for uh, for shoemakers. So that that's the thing. And then his son just realized that the, the toy business uh, is becoming big. So they they started doing uh, uh, leather toys, leather craft kits, and all that stuff. And and then they they discovered the plastic. So they what they could do with a uh, with really uh, rigid plastic toys and uh, so so toys that you could not break easily and that was uh, that were uh, really finished products uh, when uh, when you got it because with the leather ones you had to build it yourself. So it was a toy, but you 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 had a, a pretty big time uh, building the the toys before playing with it. And the and, tabletop games that was uh, they were and really yeah big the tabletop the sports the sports uh, tabletop games yeah yeah they were really big on in that too, and but yeah for me the most surprising thing I I think it would be the yeah the swimming pools and um, and the snowmobiles because it was something I really didn't expect to see Coleco in so completely I was completely uh, it completely blew my mind. 
It uh, as it did did to myself as well. And if you want more on that, um, check that out in the uh, the Coleco, the official book that's available today that you can buy right now on ColecoBook.com. I wanted to commend you as far as your research on the Telstar, which as mm-hmm. as noted again, just like the ColecoVision and Intellivision get get blended together, and mm-hmm. how the the ColecoVision and Television came at a time where. Um, unfortunately, due to the ET issue with Atari, that the mm-hmm. video game industry also hit a major downswing until the Nintendo Entertainment System. But the Telstar is very underrated as far as what it brought to the industry as well. Mm-hmm. Um, your your fascinating look into the book as far as some of the early pioneers of gaming and how they associated themselves with Coleco are also outlined in the book. There were some great interviews, and I also want to make sure that they're noted uh, and a great reason why people should read Coleco, the official book. Um, what were some of the most fascinating uh, parts of interviews, or was there one interview in particular that you enjoyed that really stands out to you? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good question uh, because I really loved them all. Uh, it was really a tremendous experience to uh, to to get to speak, to get to find some people who work at Coleco, because yeah, as I told before, so. A book on Atari and the, the people who work at Atari, we, we know all of them. Uh, the people that work in Nintendo, we, we know almost all of them as well. They are, they are quite celebrities now. But for Coleco, this is also what um, led me to, uh, to this project. Like the, the, I wanted to, uh, to spread the love for, uh, for Coleco, for, uh, for everyone else to see. And, and I really wanted to make this book about the the people as well about the people who work at the at the company so not just uh, me writing about the the history of the company but also through the voices of uh, of the people who actually work there um and i was very lucky so i i managed to find some uh, some people who work directly there or also some um, like uh, Lorne Lanning who um, who really accepted to, uh, to, to do the foreword for me for this book, uh, whose father worked at Coleco, so he didn't work in some, himself over there, but his father did. And, and said some very kind words about his experience with the Coleco yeah, vision as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, his foreword is, is amazing. It's, it's something very, very funny. It's, uh, it's really cool. And, but, yeah, if I, if I would draw one interview um, – among among all of them, I would say that uh, Janelle Jacques was the was the person who was uh, really the who I spent the the more the, the most time with on uh, on Skype. Uh, so she was the director of the of game design in the advanced research and development. So the mm-hmm. the, the the video game team of Coleco, and she she told me amazing stories. So and I was really sad that I had to to cut to cut it down. Uh, to to be able to fit in in the book because the my first edit for this interview that uh, that lasted for two hours on Skype it was like thirty pages just one interview so uh, I knew that I couldn't put just uh, thirty pages for one interview in uh, in the book so uh, so I trimmed I trimmed it but I was really sad because the, all the information is so valuable but I so I put the uh, the most essential uh, essential bit in uh, in 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 the book. And yeah, she she told me amazing story because she was really really involved in so many projects at Coleco. So she she was involved in the in the Coleco Vision. She was involved in the in the Adam. She was involved in accessories for the Coleco Vision. So it's yeah, it was it was a completely amazing. 
I cannot let you go unless I ask this question because it is a part of our history of the 80s. It's a part of our pop culture. And that's the craze of the Cabbage Patch Kids, which was yeah, maybe the final maybe the final stroke of genius for for Coleco as far as from what I'm able to ascertain. They're their last big hurrah uh, mm-hmm. as a company. Tell me your thoughts on the craze itself because I lived through it. It was on the ni- nightly news. People fighting, uh, literally. Yeah, the riots. The, the riots, the fighting, the, the, the injuries, the... You know, people dying over it, uh, people robbing each other over them. Um, they would be on stacks uh, before the store, which stores would open, and then immediately people would rush in, like it was the old days mm-hmm. from Black Friday. Your thoughts on when you were investigating the Cabbage Patch Kids craze, and and if you were able to talk to some people about it, what were your thoughts? You know, when you were interviewing them, when as far as their memories of it, because like for me, like I said, I saw this and was just blown away that these dolls could do so much mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for these people, and that they that people were willing to be so crazy as far as it's concerned to do so many outrageous things in order to get their yeah. hands on them. So the thing is with the Cabbage Patch Kids is that. So it was not created by Coleco. It was created by uh, by someone else. There is actually a bit of a controversy uh, over the, the the creation of the of the dolls. But uh, anyway, the, the the man who had the, the rights for the Cabbage Patch Kids, uh, it was called Little People uh, before that. Uh, was uh, Xavier Roberts? Okay. Xavier Roberts. So Xavier Roberts from Georgia. Uh, so created the. The Cabbage Patch Kids, and he went to see all the all the toy manufacturers in the um, in the country, and uh, they all said no except Coleco. Coleco really saw the the potential of the of the of those dolls, but every time I mentioned it to to any of the people who work in the video game um, division of Coleco, they they didn't expect at all this uh, disgrace that happened with the Cabbage Patch Kids because they all told me that I've never seen such an ugly doll. When you see the doll for the first time, you know, it's not like a... a it's not a looker. It, 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 yeah, it's not a, a plastic doll like Barbie and it's not like a, um, uh, a beautiful woman uh, with like blonde hair and, and like a, um, a beautiful dress on and stuff. So, so no, it just... It's just a baby, uh, big chubby cheeks, yeah, and yeah. chubby cheeks, uh, a soft one also. So it, it, it's really, it's really different from uh, from what they they were used to. So and but the fact that you didn't buy the doll, you adopted it, and it came with adoption papers and everything. So you had a really different experience with the uh, with the cabbage patch kids than uh, than a Barbie doll, and. Similar to what the Build-A-Bear uh, concept does today. Yeah, yeah. And, and so as Coleco is a, is a toy company first, uh, they really wanted to, to go through with it. Uh, the, the, toys, the, the dolls were manufactured all over the world. So it was, it, they were manufactured in Europe, in, uh, in Hong Kong, in the US, in Canada, also in Montreal. There was a factory uh, manufacturing some, uh, some Cabbage Patch Kids. And... And yeah, it went it went big. It was unexpected also for uh, for them, uh, but they made one crucial mistake. Um, they thought that they had the next Barbie, so they thought that this craze would last for uh, for many years. 
and unfortunately it was just for uh, for one christmas it and was. afterwards it was uh, it was gone for north america because if you take the interviews you will see that uh, that the the cabbage patch kids are still big elsewhere in the world uh, but not in north america anymore so they 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 didn't expect they didn't expect the craze so they they manufacture millions of them and they didn't expect for it to to uh, to go away that fast so they they were stuck with uh, with millions of dolls and uh, that they had to destroy or uh, or to give away or uh, or to put that in clearance and uh, so it was a uh, it, yeah, all in all, it was not a, a good experience uh, neither for uh, for this one uh, because they thought they, they had something really really big and they did, but uh, f- just for one year, so it, it didn't it didn't last as long as uh, as they expected. So. And once again, it is Coleco, the official book from ColecoBook.com. You just want to check it out. You can buy the book right there. You know, Antoine, once again, it's been a pleasure having you on. You're always you, welcome back. You're welcome, yeah. Any last thoughts? Um, yeah, for, uh, for all the people listening, continue to, uh, to learn uh, gaming history. We need to preserve it. Uh, this is my main mission right now. I'm really focusing on, uh, on, on saving this history and uh, preserving this history and telling it through, uh, through more books. So just, uh, just continue to, uh, to support all the video game history writers out there. Once again, it's Coleco, the official book, ColecoBook.com. The author, Antoine Claire Renault, has been our guest. It's been a pleasure for the entire interview. Head on over to our Game Source podcast, YouTube, Podcast.com, and iTunes channels. Up next, Doug and I decide on what is a better option these days, iPhone or Galaxy, right after the break. Hey, everyone. If you are looking for the latest news in movies, TV, video games, sci-fi, comic books, pro wrestling, technology, esports, and more, look no further than Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook and Twitter. Each week we provide hundreds of stories across the internet, bringing you closer to the latest news and information in the pop culture world. Stop by, and while you're there, like us and follow us today at Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook and Pop Culture Cosmo on Twitter. And we're back. It's Pop Culture Cosmos. I want to again thank Antoine Claire Renault for taking the time out of his day to to interview with me uh, in regards to Coleco, the official book. And if you have any questions or would like to buy that book, you want to check them out at ColecoBook.com. That's a it's a great book. Highly recommended. Also, want to give out a shout out to DJ and Jesse. Uh, they came out with a little game called Henshin Engine. If you want to find out more, it's Henshin Engine, H E N S H I N Engine. They've got a Kickstarter to. They've got. You know, they have three levels, I believe, as far as they're concerned, and they want to get to eight. So they're looking for your help. It's almost all funded by the time you hear this, but they still need your help to get them over the top. Check it out today, Henshin Engine on Kickstarter. Our good friends, like I said, a podcast radio network. We truly appreciate being a part of their schedule. We're on every Monday, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. If you don't get a chance to check us out on Podcast Radio Network, its podcast can be downloaded or will automatically come up if you're subscribed to us on the iTunes and Podcast.com networks under the Pop Culture Cosmos channels. Let's talk about cell phone battles. (laughs) 
iPhone has recently announced as far as some major changes uh, with this iPhone 7. Um, hasn't made everyone happy, but they've done a lot of improvements as well. Meanwhile, Galaxy, which you and I are proud owners of, yep. <laughs> or almost proud owners of, um, has had their troubles in recent weeks. Tell me your thoughts in the battle as far as the concern between iPhone and the Samsung Galaxy family, because the Note and their issues have made it a big concern, and the Tide, which was once really going strong for Samsung and the Galaxy family, has now turned a little bit uh, kind of tenuous as far as it's concerned. Yeah, um, apparently Samsung can't get a battery right. <laughs> apparently. Um, for, for those of you who don't know, uh, Samsung recalled over, what, over a million phones? it was uh, yes the feds even had to step in i believe to make sure the recall was going correctly because it was such a large safety hazard um you're seeing people's homes catching on fire a couple people i know have been injured i don't know if there's any actual fatalities there's been some casualties but i don't know any fatalities over it but it's been a big issue where just charging your phone can set it on fire exactly <laughs> from the home charger correct yeah from the home charger apparently the battery doesn't know when to stop accepting juice <laughs> ouch um but uh yeah I've, I've i've owned quite a few samsung phones um i've always been not i don't want to say anti-apple that sounds bad but i've always been felt they're a little underpowered for what i've always wanted their connectivity is great the the way that you can seamlessly move between products and their is interface great. is great exactly. and obviously you know the I, fact that they've coordinated with itunes and whatnot um but my actual biggest excitement with the new, before getting into the negatives, is actually the uh, the watch. The improvements they've made to the watch. I feel like what the watch should have been when it first came out. Um, the way you can basically use it like a complete phone. Yeah. I mean, it, it's 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 faster, it's lighter, it uses less power. I mean, I, I think the the watch is actually something that could actually sell more phones than I think most people realize. Apple has made a concerted effort to try and catch up with the technology of some of the leading Android phones. Yeah. And uh, they're at that point where, where as far as their camera and, and their basic interface, stereo speakers, those have all seemed to have caught up, uh, water resistance, things of that nature. But one thing they left out, which is uh, angering a lot of individuals, that little headphone jack, like the one you see here on this phone. Now, I don't love it being on the bottom like this one, like the Samsung Galaxy yeah. S6, but at least it's there. Whereas with the new iPhone that's coming out or out whatnot, that is just missing that entity, and they want you to do something else. Correct? Yeah, I don't know. I feel I feel Apple was ninety nine percent there, and then they announced that, and I was hoping the rumors weren't true because they want but you to they, use the uh, the attachment. Correct? They, they want you to use the attachment, and I, I feel it's just it's it's a bit of a money grab, and I don't think the consumer really likes that. I, they they say it's for you know a next gen and you know going wireless, but. The, the option, it doesn't really... I know there's a cost associated, but it doesn't cost them anything. I, I feel it was just to make you use their proprietary, you know, lightning connection for wired headphones. Yep, or, or the wireless ones that they talked wireless. about. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel it was also... Nicole actually brought it up to me. I, I think it was also an attempt to uh, push uh, Apple Pay, where now you can't use any of those third-party peripherals. You know, you can't use the Google Pay attachment. You can't use the uh, Amazon Pay. You can't use um, Square... Those kind of functionalities are now, or even PayPal's attachment, they don't exist now. So, so where does that leave uh, us as consumers? Does that does that make the choice clearer, or does that just make the choices now more muddled? Because, like 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 you said, while iPhone has made improvements, they've they've done things that made the the consumer experience a little bit harder. Uh, whereas you have Samsung, which had been you know 
obviously gaining some, some traction and real momentum in the industry with this bad PR move as far as their product is concerned, at least one of their products, which will obviously and eventually, I'm sure, tie over into the Galaxy series as a whole, which will have people maybe hesitant on buying them. How do you think that dictates the future I of the cell phone battle? I think it'll be interesting to see what other competitors like Samsung do. Um, I, I, I guarantee within the next year we'll see a a second line from Samsung that isn't a Galaxy line mm-hmm. um, that might be a, a premium option where instead of, you know, Galaxy becomes their kind of middle of the road and whatever new iteration becomes, whatever they call it, just to distance themselves from that. Um, it's kind of like when you see a car manufacturer recall. We might see that model of car go away for a year or two. The same car might have lived on, you know, as a spiritual successor, but we, we won't see that branding anymore. Um, I'm, I'm hoping they go that kind of route and bounce back. Um, and it also depends on, it might be the standard now, the lack of a, a headphone jack. So you can sell your proprietary connection or you can sell Bluetooth products, which are a little bit cheaper to manufacture. I mean, we'll, we'll see. It, it all depends on where the competition goes. If everybody just follows suit with Apple, yeah, that'll be the norm. And, and, and Apple, third parties, and, how, how accepting is Apple going to be of third parties making those, those products as far as those attachments with the lightning? You know, not everybody likes to go, like you said, with the proprietary Apple features. Samsung has always been, because it's part of the Android family, it's always been very loose as far as their attachment, chargers, cases, things of that nature. Apple's normally pretty proprietary. They try to, I mean, they really try to pigeonhole you into the, their products. Um, and they, they do it behind that, you know, seal of quality trying to say our, there's a quality and a standard to our products, which I understand. But it also, it's, it's very, it sucks for the consumer. I mean, when you're, when you're limited, it's never good. So let's say right now, let's say your contract comes up. Is the choice now harder, more difficult, or is it still easier for you to stay with the Android phones? If the I, I had been looking at Apple just for that, that integration between all products. I don't really have too many Apple products, but I like the idea of being able to work on my phone, moving it straight to my tablet, moving it straight to my laptop. I like that integration that I see some other business and some of my other friends using. Um, so I'd already been looking, but then some of the features being cut out for me, like the headphone jack and things like that, from a business standpoint, hurt me being able to take payments on the go and things like that. And I can still do it, but it just costs me more now. And that's 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 an issue for me. But um, as far as the battery issue with Samsung, it doesn't it wouldn't stop me from buying another Galaxy phone personally. I understand why it would stop some people. Um, but to me, I don't want to see mistakes happen because this was a big mistake. But I, I feel like they're doing the right thing. They're giving people either loaner phones, you know, either loaning people phones until they get replacements, or they're replacing the phone outright with whatever model you want. Um, I think Samsung's doing the right thing. So to me, neither really have pulled me in either direction. I, but I, I feel it's completely a hardware standpoint. And Apple's kind of pulling me that way a little bit with them catching up. And uh, now I, it's I, I don't so know. simple. Yeah, I, I, I don't know where that leaves. I don't know, I don't know where that leaves the, uh, the market. I, I think only time will tell. Uh, time will definitely tell indeed. For you out there, send us your thoughts either on a Retro City Games page, the Pop Culture Cosmos page, Game Source. Send us your thoughts on whether you're leaning now iPhone or Android for your next mobile phone. But before we go to our break, just want to make sure we give a shout out to Mario Party Wars, Sal, Lorna, Yelton, and, and all the gang and all the crew, Mario Party Wars. If you get a chance, check them out on their Facebook page. That's Mario Party Wars. And when we come back... Josh and I are going to be talking about comic books and what we feel are some of the best comic books that you can get outside of the Marvel and DC Universe. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. 
GameSource is your number one source for everything video games. Each week we bring you the best of the video gaming world from sites all over the internet. Like us today on Facebook or follow us today at GameSource and you'll stay up with the latest in information and news plus also about all the great things we're doing on our GameSource Facebook, Twitter and GameSource YouTube pages. Stay up to date with the video gaming world right here at GameSource. We're back. Once again, it's Gerald from GameSource and Pop Culture Cosmos. I'm now here with my good friend and also host of Pop Culture Cosmos and the GameSource podcast. He is the author of Vendetta Dark and the upcoming Congratulations. You suck. It's Josh Peterson. How are you, my friend? Good, good. Thanks for having me. It's good to good to be back. We talk all the time about the Marvel Universe and the DC Universe on our shows, uh, both the Game Source podcast that we that we actually have done in, in the past and still do, and then also, of course, uh, Pop Culture Cosmos. We've talked at length regarding the Marvel and DC Universes. And since you're the man with a plan when it comes to comic books, I wanted to reach out to you, your thoughts on where you would lead them outside of those two main rivals and some really good comic book series that they might enjoy and your thoughts on exactly why they are so special. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. Did you say that there are other comic books outside of Marvel and DC? Uh, that is correct. The Last I heard, there was. I mean, uh, there's some outlying uh, uh, Marvel and DC Universe stories, I believe, that that uh, people might be interested in. I, I had no idea. <laughs> um, yeah, honestly, it, it, if I would lead anyone anywhere, it would be to Dark Horse comic books. All right, had Dark a, Horse had a feeling you were going to say that one. Let's start just, with that. There, because they there's something about them. Like they publish stuff that I feel like Marvel and DC would not touch at all, just because it's so it, it's really dark. A lot of it's dark and violent. And it's just so out there, but it's it just the stories are so fantastic. I don't. Are you a fan of Hellboy? I am indeed. As far as from the movie aspects, I've never actually delved into the comic book side of it. Yeah, Hellboy is. Like if if you didn't like the movie, I still would tell you to read the comic books because it, while it does the the movie was almost word for word with the comic book, it's still the the adventures that Hellboy has after that are actually really good. They go into if you like historical stuff like uh you know histories, monsters and demons and stuff like that. That would be that's a good place to go. And uh, he even feeds into the BPRD. So if you like characters like uh. Ape Sapien and Liz from the Hellboy movie, they actually have their own comic book in which they explore paranormal stuff too, occasionally hanging, uh, hanging out with Hellboy. Um, let's see, you got something else that's not Marvel and DC. You have the Umbrella Academy, which I don't know, are you a fan of uh, My Chemical Romance? Or did you ever listen to them? I've heard of them. I have heard a little bit of their music, but no, not into any great detail as far as it's concerned. So this is another comic book that is done by Dark Horse, but it is written and illustrated by Gerard Way, the lead singer of uh, <clears throat> My Chemical Romance. So it's uh, it's got it's it's an interesting like if you're a fan of anime, like uh, maybe like uh, Attack on Titan that style stuff. It's got you know because it's got its gruesome moments too, but it's it. It's really good storytelling. 
Um, where else would I go from here? Have you looked into some of the other series like Witchblade? Say, you know, obviously Sailor Moon is something that that a lot of anime fans have have gotten into. Uh, Midnighter, you know, some of the other non DC, non Marvel. Yeah, definitely, um, Spawn is another one that's kind of endearing to fans. It's been around for a while. It was made by Todd McFarlane, so it's a pretty dark one. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I don't know if you've ever listened to... Uh, I really like the concept of musicians making comic books to go along with their albums. I don't know if you've ever heard of Co- uh, Coheed and Cambria. Uh, that I have, yes. yes. So, so their lead singer, Claudio, has a, a comic book out called The Amory Wars. And so each of their CDs is based on is basically the soundtrack to one of these volumes of the Amory Wars. I mean, they're really like a lot of these independent comic book companies. They they have stuff for everybody, so you have to really know like what they publish to pick what kind of comics you want to read. I guess if that makes sense. Like of Dark Horse, yeah, Dark Horse has a lot of dark stuff. Uh, IDW does, uh, and Boom, they do a lot of lighthearted stuff. Incredibles, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. It's it's. It all depends on what you want to read. They're literally, if you have never read a comic book out at all, there are comic books out there for everybody. You just got to research what you want to read and what kind of story you're looking for. But um, you, you mentioned Spawn. You mentioned Hellboy. Uh, Midnighter, some, something that maybe people want to look at as well. You know, some of the, uh, the comic books that are outside the realm, I just wanted to make sure that people know when you go to a comic book store, you're not always have to be you don't always have to be pigeonholed into a DC or Marvel universe. Although those universes are are so enjoyable as far as what they have to offer, but there's like you're saying there's there's just so many independent comic books out there that that people can get into. I just wanted to make sure and get a beat on what ones that are out there that people would like. If there was one that you would have to just pin down per se, uh, what would that be? Oh man, um, I honestly I would just say Hell Hellboy or Shadow Man is pretty good. There's Shadow Man in the Darkness. Those are a couple of other good ones too. But if there's one, I, I would definitely have to recommend for people. It would either either be Hellboy or the Amory Wars. Those are the two that I'm actually really into right now. I've been reading up on quite a bit. Um, any other suggestions before we uh, carry on? Yeah, well, we we do we. We do a lot of business with gamers, so I'll, there are a lot of comic books based on video games or comic books that carry on the stories that video games uh, end at. So if you like Resistance, um, Prototype is another good one. Uh, even Halo has its own line of comic books. It's just it's if you if you're really involved in those universes, like those are good comic books you'd want to pick up. The Mass Effect uh, universe, Ma- as far as it's Mass Effect. Yes, that was uh, actually some good reading indeed. Um, all, the, all the books and obviously the comic books as well. I I have the uh, strip of those. Excellent, excellent reading as far as that Mass Effect universe. And obviously it sets up uh, a lot of stuff for the future for Shepard. And then, you know, th- at that time. And then, of course, on Andromeda coming out next year. Uh, so good thoughts indeed. That, that, this has been a, a tough question, man. You, I think you just tonight you asked me the most difficult question of my life, and I was not quite prepared for that. Ah, but I prepped you for it. That's the thing. 
You did. I just, there's so many good comic books I want to talk about, but I just can't like, you know, <laughs> well, put I'll, t- words. I'll tell you what, we will revisit that. Uh, that's just a taste as far as some of the actual comic books that are out there that people gave in into. Um, always one, one thing that you can go down to. If, if you like what Josh has to say, when you head on over to your local comic book store, ask around, ask the comic books uh, experts there as well. Just like Josh, what do they prefer? And you'll probably be surprised when they tell you it's not always in the DC and Marvel universe, but we will definitely have to revisit this conversation on another one of the pop culture cosmos podcasts, just so you can uh, elaborate more on exactly what you love about the comic book scene. Yeah. And also you guys can download apps of your, like all these different comic book companies. You can download apps and preview each of the comic books to kind of find out what, what you're into. It's really, they're, there's stories tailored to certain types of people. So if you, you know, there's, there's something out there for everybody. That's all I can say. Thanks to my friend Josh for providing some insight on the comic book scene. We'll be right back to close out the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hey, Uncle Rob. Listen, I'm going to be in Ontario the first few weeks in November, and I'm starting another documentary. I'm actually going to see if I can track down my mom. Oh, good luck on that one. This is my mom. Terry Lee Parker. And this is the last image we have of her, because on the night of October 27, 1990, she vanished, and no one has seen her since. Being a mother, the worst thing always goes through your mind first. You know, I've even Googled her name, and the only Terry Lee Parker that ever come up on a hit was for some girl out in BC. I never believed the words she said. She could tell me anything, I wouldn't believe it. So basically, the less we saw of her, the better it was. Would I chase her? No, I would not chase her. If I don't find anything, then I don't find anything, but at least I know I tried to do it. You don't know the whole story. I I have no idea why she just up and ran. A lot of kids who don't know their biological parents really feel they need to find out where they came from. I always wish I knew what happened to her, because she was important to me. I really don't think she wants to be found. People can have their names changed for a simple fee. It was almost like she had taken on this other identity. This isn't going to be figured out in a month. It might not be figured out in a year. She was a con artist. She could be living in Ontario. She could be living out west. She could be in jail. Somebody has to know where she is and what happened to her. Searching for the truth can be scary. You might not like what you find. Thinking about it now, like, it hurts. As more time passes, you know, you just have to think, maybe she isn't with us anymore. If you find her and you have an opportunity to say something what's the first thing gonna come out of your mouth hi Lee I think you're my mom for more information on the award-winning documentary missing mom head on over to Rob McCallum today all right we're back Doug tell us more about box art the docuseries uh, Nicole and I are producing a uh, box art uh, Rob uh, McCallum is producing and directing it um, it is a definitive look at the box art in video games, the artist behind it, the process, and even the decision and the reasoning behind the boxes, the shape, the form, the design. Um, we, we've been doing a lot of filming. Um, we still have quite a few interviews to go. It's shaping up really nicely. Um, for those of you who don't know, we switched from a, a film 90-minute feature format to a six-episode format. Because there's uh, just so much content. Exactly. The problem was in, in 90 minutes, we just couldn't tell what we wanted to tell. Um, this allows us... You know, easily double the, the the time to talk about and really explore these artists. But it's just to give you guys more content. 
We same delivery time. Um, we're shooting for the end of 2018, hoping to be done before that. But yeah, it, it's shaping up really well. We have some great content uh, and some great interviews we've done. I think a lot of this stuff will be really surprising for people to hear. Doug, it's as always been a pleasure. Any pleasure. last words? Uh, no, I <laughs> kind of threw me on the spot there. No, uh, no, I. Wow. Fair enough. (laughs) And we will leave it at that. Thank you again for joining us on the Pop Culture Cosmos. And you have yourself a great...